At a time like this, it's easy to see why local news is so important and why that news should be free for everyone who needs it to be. Your support of KCUR makes this essential reporting possible. If you can, please donate. KCUR.org slash give. And thanks. Good morning and welcome to up-to-date special coverage, Coronavirus in Kansas City. I'm Steve Kraske. Today we'll begin with a conversation with healthcare workers who can tell us what it's like to be on the front lines in the fight against COVID-19. Yes, it can be downright scary. Then we'll turn to one of the after effects of this pandemic, and that's how couples are dividing up the housework. Is that changing in this era of essential and non-essential workers? And yes, I'm wondering whether women are still carrying the biggest load here. Before all of that, we'll check in with KCUR's Sam Zeff to talk about this morning's news. Sam, good morning. First, a super troubling unemployment report that landed this morning. Tell us about that. Good golly, you could hardly believe the number when you saw it. Department of Labor says job claims nationwide soared by, these are first-time initial earning claims, by 6.6 million last week. That's double the record-setting 3.3 million people who filed initial unemployment claims the previous week. Want some worse news? Last week's number was revised up by 24,000 by the Labor Department. Uh, Just like the rest of the country, Kansas and Missouri once again saw huge spikes in Kansas. Almost 55,000 people filed jobless claims. That's an increase of 32,000 from last week, according to the Labor Department. In Missouri, almost 97,000 new initial claims for unemployment, a jump of almost 55,000 thousand people seeking unemployment benefits. Boy, it hurts to hear all that, doesn't it? Oh, man. It, uh, you know, I covered people. a lot of unemployment uh, news uh, a few years ago, uh, and never, never uh, have I ever no. dreamed that you could see weekly un- uh, unemployment claims this high. I agree with that. You also have some political news to, to talk about this morning, Sam. Yep. So uh, former Jackson County Sheriff Mike Sharp, he resigned in a sex scandal a couple of years ago. Totally unexpected. Came out of the blue. Everybody was shocked. Now, once his old job back, we sent KCR's Bill Grady out to try to find that story. We don't have it. Yeah, go ahead. No Bill Grady. Yeah. Um, So what happened was, so uh, Mike Sharp uh, resigns. Turns out that, and this came out in a lawsuit, uh, that he was having uh, an extramarital affair with a civilian employee in the sheriff's department. Uh, There was also some uh, financial improprieties, uh, taking her on trips, paying her more than any other civilian employee. So he resigns uh, amid the sex scandal. Uh, County Executive Frank White uh, uh, appoints Daryl Forte, who had just resigned as Kansas City Police Chief. Forte runs for re-election and uh, and is uh, and is elected and now uh, the two democrats will be uh, will be facing off in the uh, in the in the august primary how, how do you Sharp- size this thing up because uh, mike sharp that's a tough thing to bounce back from i think so but scandal. but he was pretty popular you know, very he, popular yeah, when yeah. he ran in 20 uh, when he ran in 08 he won with 61% of the vote uh, when he ran for re-election in 2012 he won with uh, 97% of the vote uh, because he was unimpo- uh, unopposed that that, uh, may, that 
let me do it. That could, uh, that's uh, <laughs> can, that's always the easiest way to win a re-election. Yeah. And I think he may be looking at whether or not Daryl Forte uh, might be vulnerable. Now, Forte won uh, when he ran in his election, but he beat uh, a guy named David Bernal, who was a, uh, a longtime uh, law enforcement person, uh, 70, uh, 52% uh, to 47%. So he could be vulnerable. Uh, we'll see. And I think that's why uh, Mike Sharp is thinking that he might get his old job back. That's KCUR's Sam Zeff. Sam, thanks very much. Of course. A lot of us are worried about contracting COVID-19 as the pandemic swirls around us. So here's a question. Can you imagine working in healthcare right now and even serving on the front lines? You can't help but wonder how doctors and nurses are managing their workloads combined with the concern of getting sick themselves. Nurses at some Kansas City hospitals are saying they're not getting enough protection against the virus. We're going to check in now with a couple of healthcare professionals. They are Dr. Allison Edwards. She's owner of Kansas City Direct Primary Care that offers monthly fee doctor services. Uh, Dr. Edwards, welcome back. Nice to have you. Hi, thanks for having me. Heidi Lucas is also here. She's a state director of the Missouri Nurses Association. Heidi, good morning to you. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Heidi, let me start with you. KCUR's Dan Margulies is reporting today that nurses in the Kansas City area at HCA hospitals are saying that they aren't getting enough protection from the virus. I'm wondering how big a concern is that? It's a very big concern. One of our biggest issues. Are you there, Heidi? One of our biggest issues is concern is that healthcare workers are going to be um, getting infected themselves. Mm -hmm. And because we know that this is a silent virus, that many people are contracting it and not showing any symptoms, that they will be um, infected and not even know it, and then passing it on to coworkers, loved ones, and even other patients. Mm -hmm. So we're asking that every healthcare worker who is currently working, no matter where, is available to uh, wear a mask. Hmm. The hospital, by the way, is defending its practices, saying it's following CDC guidelines and even exceeding those guidelines in some cases. So Heidi, how should a situation like this be resolved? That's a great question. So I do think we need to take into account how the healthcare workers are feeling. Because if you're creating an environment where they are intentional or if they are feeling unsafe, then they need to be able to feel comfortable in order to come to work every day and continue to treat the patients. Dr. Edwards, I'm wondering what your thoughts are on this. <laughs> um, I've, I've talked to a lot of people over the last couple of weeks about the availability of uh, proper protective equipment and, and frankly, the, the lack of availability. And what's interesting is if you think about another context or another industry, if if a worker showed up on a construction site and wasn't provided the proper protective gear to safely do their job, um, you know, the construction site, there would be means to shut down the construction site to remediate, uh, to protect workers. Right. But when a healthcare worker isn't provided with essential protective equipment, the hospitals don't shut down. We don't, we don't, we, we don't turn people away essentially. And so the healthcare workers continue to work even though their job site is unsafe um, and, and lacks the ability to protect them. 
The other side of it, though, as a business owner, is that I completely understand the inability to actually provide those protective um, the, the equipment that you see on the news, so the N95 masks, the gowns, uh, face shields, eye protection. Because um, a lot of it's of not available, is, right? It's not. It's it's simply the manufacturing and logistical uh, pipeline is just not available. And so I, I get both sides as a frontline provider myself and also as a business owner who's trying to procure that for my staff. Not to belabor this because this isn't your fight, but any sense of how you might resolve this? <laughs> Other than, you know, making my own manufacturing plan. Yeah. Um, I it's I, I think that this the that the response on a national level has been less than ideal and that there could have been um, better protections and, and better processes put in place to begin with. Um, but but that ship has sailed. And so it's a matter of ramping up, uh, reducing barriers, uh, bureaucratic barriers to actually getting us the equipment we need. If healthcare workers out there are listening and can call in and share their experiences, we'd like to hear from you. Our number, 816-235-2888, or you can tweet us at KCUR up to date. Uh, Dr. Edwards, how busy is your practice right now? So it's really interesting. My The practice that we have here is a primary care practice, and I think that this can resonate with a lot of primary care providers and those who are looking for primary care, in that we have switched to a completely telemedicine model. So we are trying to practice so uh, safe social distancing, making sure that we protect ourselves so we can keep working and protect our patients. And so our volume has switched entirely to phone calls and um, electronic communications like video chat and emails to take care of our patients. And, and so, people might be wondering how effective uh, of a service can right. that be? Can you do it as well by uh, electronic means than you can in person? Super good question. There are some things that need to be done in person. Obviously, you know, I can't, I can't necessarily do a procedure over a video conference. I can't check somebody's lungs. I can't listen to their lungs very easily. Uh, via teleconference. And so there, you do lose a little bit of quality when you switch over to a completely virtual platform. That being said, you can also take care of quite a few things. You know, you can make sure people are checking their blood pressure, check in on uh, things that are still happening. Like people still have diabetes that needs that needs attention. People still have heart failure, those type of things. If I can, I can make sure that my patients are taken care of in that regard and keep them out of the hospital, that helps the whole system as well. Heidi Lucas, uh, what are you hearing from nurses across the state of Missouri right now? What are their concerns? What kind of feedback are you getting about what they're up against? So it's been interesting in Missouri because we are a little bit behind where folks are at on the coasts. So it's almost like they are waiting for the storm to hit. Mm. You know, they're seeing it happening on either side of the country and they know that it's coming and it's scary because they don't know when it's going to hit and they don't know how bad it's going to be and they don't know how well prepared their workplaces are going to be. Um, so how much anxiety is out there? There is a ton of anxiety. I'm getting phone calls from nurses every day who are worried, not, again, not just for themselves, but for their families and their coworkers. You know, folks who have family members who um, might have asthma or COPD or a cancer diagnosis, they're concerned about bringing that home with them because we're finding that a lot of healthcare workers are being infected. Uh, either they were infected before all of this started really ramping up or uh, now because of lack of proper PPE, they are becoming sick. Vanderbilt just released that they had 85 workers the other day test positive for uh, 
COVID-19. And so that is continuing to be a major concern for all of our healthcare workers in the state of Missouri as so, well. So how much courage do you need to be a healthcare worker in Missouri, to be a nurse in Missouri right now, Heidi? Because you've said that basically every nurse you talk to realizes that they're going to get COVID-19 at some point. I mean, that's amazing. They have pretty much realized that, you know, it's coming. There's nothing really they can do to stop it. They most likely will get it. And so they have to go into work every day and face that. I mean, it's taking a tremendous toll, but this is what they signed up to do. That takes a special kind of courage, though, doesn't it? It very much takes a special kind of courage. There are individuals out there that, you know, this is a calling. Nursing is a calling. Working in healthcare is a calling. Not everybody can do it. It does take a special kind of person to be able to go in and face that every day. I mean, we're talking life and death situations that they face every day outside of um, our current pandemic. Dr. Edwards, a special kind of courage, does that resonate with you? Absolutely. Somebody asked me um, how how uh, healthcare providers go into work every day knowing exactly what Heidi just mentioned that there's there's a yeah. very high likelihood that we will be infected and uh, you know there's i don't think there's a good answer that an understandable answer for somebody who isn't in the profession um we work through grief we work through um loss we work through incredibly stressful situations we work through administ- administrators and bureaucracy that makes no sense in the context of patient care you know, in the same way that a, a firefighter runs into a burning building and, and, you know, anybody who's not a firefighter just can't imagine that. Like each profession has its that, that thing, that that calling. So it's 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 true, too, in healthcare. Dr. Edwards, you said you're doing a lot of telemedicine right now, but your website mm-hmm. also says that you'll meet people outside mm-hmm. at their cars. So <laughs> there's a certain level of exposure on your end as well. Uh-huh. Yeah. The the concept of car testing was very odd, or excuse me, car car visits and whatnot. And we have been doing uh, testing as well um, as in a drive up uh, scenario. Uh, felt very weird. I just took a uh, kid's stitches out uh, as he sat in the backseat of his car yesterday. <laughs> so it's I, there is exposure. We are trying to uh, mitigate that as best as possible. Initially using CDC guidance, which is you know best practice, but over the last um, several weeks, we've seen that guidance sort of, well, if you don't have this, then they do this. If you don't have this, you need to do this. And so um, being in an outside, uh, excuse me, outside ventilated environment is actually a safer place than being indoors at this place mm-hmm. or at this point. So it's yeah. it's been interesting. Dr. Edwards, do you think the public mm-hmm. recognizes what healthcare professionals are up against right now? And to what extent is the public appreciative of of the efforts that are being put out there? Oh, I I think that the public has been incredibly appreciative of what healthcare providers and workers and nurses and anybody who's walking into a hospital these days um, is doing. We have had unsolicited thank you notes come in from our our patients just to say thank you, and it's it's always strange to be thanked. And maybe this resonates with Heidi as well, but to be thanked for you know what essentially it's our job. We do this every day. It's mm-hmm. it's it's a little bit more dangerous now. Um, but it's, I think people are incredibly um, appreciative. Heidi Lucas, what are you hearing back from nurses across Missouri? Yeah, so we are hearing that um, folks are, are just kind of in a state of almost surrealness, that they can't believe that this is happening. Um, also, you know, the kind of inventive ways that folks are trying to go get care currently, uh, as well has been an interesting challenge for us. 
um, you know, a lot of our small clinics across the state, urgent cares are, are, are staffed by APRNs. And so those mm -hmm. APRNs are also out there um, in these small clinics that aren't, you know, aren't having PPEs and they're doing the same thing as, as the doctor's telling us is that they're going up to the windows and, and trying to do it through either telemedicine or, or car drive up as well. Hmm. Well, we're wondering if our listeners are living, those of you who are living with a healthcare worker, how concerned are you for their health and the health of your family? 816-235-2888 our phone number here, or you can tweet us at KCUR up to date. Heidi, to what extent are nurses across the state even being forced to self-isolate from their own families right now. So that is happening. We're hearing stories of, you know, folks going and staying in hotels away from the family members, or they are staying with each other. Several nurses, you know, bunking up in the same apartment or house together because they are, they all have the same kind mm -hmm. of exposure level. And so they're not going home and doing that. Uh, those that are still living at home are going home and taking extreme precautions around their family, coming inside leaving their shoes at the front door, wiping their shoes down with alcohol and other disinfectant, completely stripping out of every piece of clothing that they have, putting those in the laundry immediately, and then getting in the shower right away to try to scrub off the day the best that they can in the hopes that they aren't transmitting it. We have reports from nurses that they haven't kissed their kids in weeks. They mm. haven't slept in the same bed as their partner in weeks. It's just mm -hmm. heartbreaking right now. It's the emotional toll that it's taking, as well as the physical toll that it's taking, uh, has been really hard for folks to deal with. I was going to say, what kind of toll does that all add up to? I mean, that's really tough stuff, Heidi. It's very tough stuff. And, you know, we are trying to be as best support as possible, encouraging folks to get mental health help if they need it. Uh, that goes for, you know, not just the the nursing population and the healthcare population, but for the folks in general to making sure that they are taking good mental health care of themselves and for those around them. Again, we'd like to hear from healthcare workers and those living with healthcare workers, 816-235-2888, or tweet us at KCUR up to date. We're talking this morning about uh, healthcare workers on the front lines of this virus and what they're up against here. Uh, Dr. Edwards, you've mentioned that you've been doing some testing of patients uh, yeah. uh, outside. What have you seen? Have you come up with some positives or uh, what are you seeing? We have, um, this has been a fascinating uh, experience. So we're a small clinic, we're fairly adaptable. And when we realized we couldn't get testing anywhere within the community from public health resources or even the larger health systems, we decided to uh, essentially uh, work with our commercial vendors and figure it out ourselves. And so it has been a learning process every step of the way. So first off, I think everybody's heard that getting the swabs and getting the kits has been a, a hurdle, and so we got over that hurdle. The proper protective equipment, figuring out that was a hurdle. And now getting results back from our commercial vendors has been a, has been the most recent hurdle. So it's hard for me to even say, do we have positives, do we not? Because we are still waiting on lab results from eight days ago oh, wow. um, from our commercial wow. vendors. I was going to say, how long is it taking? You're saying more yeah. than a week. Yeah, more than a week, which is it's it's hard to make clinical decisions and for people to 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 use that information if we have to wait 
so mm. long. So it's a rapidly evolving environment. The, um, the testing that's coming out that does the blood testing will be faster whenever that is available. Is, is the testing, is that going to, that, that situation going to improve, Dr. Edwards? Do you see better days <laughs> coming or is this going to be just a train wreck going forward now as this virus and the numbers begin to spike here in Kansas and uh, Missouri? Um. I keep saying to all my patients, just work with us. This whole thing is a mess. It's going to keep being a mess. Um, we don't really have the logistical infrastructure in place to deal with the pandemic. And that's for you know various reasons. And so while I think everything that we're encountering will get better and better as we scale and ramp up as testing capabilities expand at the larger hospital, uh, the, the big hospitals that we have here in town, the commercial labs will expand. But every so often, every couple of days, almost every week, we have a new testing methodology. And so we have to go through the whole invention process of how do we get the kits? How do we do the testing? How yeah. do we submit the samples? How are the samples actually run? So it'll it'll continue to be an incredible learning curve. Well, doctor, you've said you're pretty frustrated with the federal government right now with the way that Congress has dealt with this, with the lack right. of testing. Tell us a little more about that. Um, I have a unique uh, view of the healthcare system in that we're I'm a I'm a doctor. I'm also a small business owner, and we explicitly don't bill insurance for our services, and so. When the Families First Act was passed back on the 18th, the language within it and what was conveyed by the, the press generally was that testing would be free and caring for people who have uh, who are diagnosed with COVID-19 will be free. And that language is, is slightly erroneous because what it actually codified into law was that it mandated insurance companies need to pay for these things. Mm. Now, that that doesn't cover everybody, and that doesn't actually mean free. It just means that the the ad hoc status quo healthcare system, which is which is strained significantly, um, is required to essentially uh, pay for these things. And so, uh, in my in in my my own biased small opinion here as a doctor, just trying to help people, uh, I I think that funding public health uh, entities and actually providing the the funding for our local public health departments to execute testing campaigns to actually ramp up and scale right. that would have been a far more appropriate response for a public health emergency. Interesting. Again, 816-235-2888. We're talking about what it's like to be on the front lines of this pandemic with healthcare workers. We're eager to hear from them. You can also tweet us at KCUR up to date. You're listening to up to date special coverage, coronavirus in Kansas City. We have a pharmacist on the line from uh, Shawnee, Kansas. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, my name is Tambui Defo. I'm a pharmacist. And, you know, I listen to your show, really exciting. You know, good show. I listen to it almost every morning. As you well, should. Surprised that most, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> most of these shows, they tend to ignore that pharmacists, you know, even our technician, we're part of this pandemic and we're in the front line because everything you see, every news, nobody ever comes to or talk to a pharmacist and find out how we're doing. Huh. Because on a daily basis, we talk to patients, we are in face of them because of the HIPAA, even when you counsel a patient, you cannot yell, you cannot stay at six foot. So we finally get some of our company to put some face guard. Mm. You know, I know some of our patients appreciate it, but every time you walk to a pharmacy, you come to me, you want something over the counter. I'm going to go to the vitamin section with you, to the allergy section. I will talk to you. 
you know, like if I was talking to my, you know, my family members and we would talk, converse, talk about this and that. So we are actually exposed. We've been exposed since day one. And I kind of feel like every time there is a show talking about this pandemic, you know, nobody mentioned pharmacists. We're kind of ignored in the healthcare system. I just wanted to make sure that the listener know. I know most pharmacists will agree with me. Right. We're part of this. We work a lot. You should see us on a daily basis because we have this face shield. I get it. Wipe. I'm really glad you set the record straight. Heidi Lucas, I think Tambo has, has a, good, uh, a good point here. He has a very good point. I mean, it's every part of the healthcare system that's being affected. Um, you know, and it's just like our grocery store workers who are who are there. Our pharmacists are there as well. You know, right. a lot of them are in those grocery stores and and working. So they have a lot of folks that come forward. You know, it would make sense for them to be able to get some masks to be able to wear every day while they're doing their job and talking to the general public. Well, I'm glad he called. I'm glad he set the record straight. Let's uh, keep going here. Ken from Liberty. Ken, you're on up to date special coverage coronavirus in Kansas City. Good morning. Hey, uh, hey, Steve. My uh, job, I'm not, health, I'm not a healthcare professional. I repair electronics that take me into um, a lot of different area hospitals. And the, the, the city hospitals, they understand what's happening. But the rural hospitals, though they understand the big pro, and, and they're, they get the message, but the general attitude in the rural America, from what I've seen, is that this is a city disease and that we're rural. So we're socially distanced by nature, and this isn't going to affect us. Hmm. And everything I have seen, that's not true. Interesting point. Yeah. Heidi Lucas, again, state director of the Missouri Nurses Association. <clears throat> Are you seeing a rural-urban divide, as Ken is pointing out here to us? I am seeing uh, that going on as well, you know, that folks um, – are just not as concerned about it in the rural communities. I think a lot of the healthcare workers are still concerned about it in those communities. The the nurses we're hearing, you know, and this is those are the places that are really having trouble getting, you know, the the smaller healthcare systems, the rural clinics are the ones who are having a more of a hard time getting the PPEs as opposed to the larger health systems who have more options. But the folks that are out there, you know, it's everywhere. COVID-19 is everywhere. It doesn't matter if you're in Kansas City or in your you're in Marshall, Missouri. It's in your communities, just as the doctor was saying the testing part needs to be ramped up considerably so we have a better idea of where it is. And I think once folks start to see it in their own communities, they'll start to take it more seriously. However, at that point, it's going to be way too late. I'm wondering, are we seeing that, Heidi, that folks in rural Missouri, rural Kansas, aren't social distancing as much as they should be? Is that sort of what what goes without saying here? (laughs) Uh, yeah, well, and I think that even does happen in in urban areas well, as sure, well. Of course. Yeah. People aren't um, social distancing as much as they think it is. Right. Um, you know, the folks are, are are they think it's an old person disease, right? So yeah. if they're not over the age of sixty or seventy, they're not as concerned about it as they should. Right. But you know, really, we we they need to be taking it seriously as well because they're the ones who could be infecting grandma, or they could get sick themselves. Let's go to David, who's with the Brookdale Senior Living Center. David, good morning. Good morning. I was just listening to the – you like I do every morning, and I mentioned producer. I worked as a physician's assistant and a respiratory therapist 
in hospitals for 35 years. Mm-hmm. Where I am now, they have me assessing people that are here for coronavirus, among other things. My story isn't a story, though. It's my best friend that's working now seven days a week, 12 to 16 hours a day. Wow, wow. With then going home to a wife that has recently had heart surgery hmm. and a pacemaker implant and a over 92-year-old mother that ha- is in hospice hmm. in the home. And, and where's your friend living, David? Um, a couple of blocks from Ward Parkway. Okay, so Kansas City, you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Yes, sir. And your point is what? These folks are making incredible sacrifices. Is that where you're going here? Yes, and he, when he goes home, he ends up staying isolated in his garage. Hmm. His wife is up on... Um, one half of the first floor, his mother's on the other half of the first floor, and um, his daughter actually has just come back from China. Oh, boy. Within 100 miles <laughs> of where the virus started, and his son is just back from school two days ago. Well, how's he navigating all Her, this, David? I mean, this is, talk about pressure points. He's overloaded here. Well, it's probably not the right word to use, but I think it may relate to what the other nurses there have referred to. He's dedicated. Right. Boy, That I think that goes without saying. Uh, I wonder if we can get your number offline here. We could uh, perhaps get a hold of your friend. Maybe he could visit with us for a few minutes someday about what he's up against. Well, I have trouble. I get to text him and usually get an answer back in between two and three days. Wow. Wow. But wow. I, you know, I wouldn't have any problem giving my number, but I'm more concerned about him. And right. I'm with 216 people here that are locked down mm. that uh, now are worried about trying to go to grocery stores to get food and trying to get their food delivered and with special diets. They're not, there's no special diet anymore and trying right. to get medicines every day. David, I'm really glad you called in and, and shed some light on all this. And uh, hang on just for a second, and Danny Alexander will, will get your number here. You know, as this segment, we're starting to run a little bit of short of time, Heidi Lucas, but uh, you've been hearing stories about one nurse over in St. Louis. She's been doing this work for 30 years who was told she couldn't wear an N95 mask uh, as uh, she was on the job. What happened there and what happened next? So that nurse, uh, she had been hearing what had been going on in China and uh, was concerned about it coming here. So she went out and got a bunch of N95 masks so that she could start wearing in the workplace. So then as things started to to reach Missouri, she uh, took all of those in and for her for her workplace and so she started wearing one and she gave some to her coworkers to start wearing as well mm-hmm. her supervisor came down and asked her to remove her mask and she told them no i want to you know be able to keep my family safe and and myself safe and i brought some for everybody you know these are n95 masks these aren't handkerchiefs that i've brought in they they were they were actual equipment that people are begging for and she was she had them and she was bringing them in for her staff her supervisor said, I'm telling you again, uh, you're going to have to remove your mask whenever you're in patient areas. 
And so she said, well, no, I'm not going to do that. And so the, the supervisor brought down uh, somebody higher up in the health system and told her the same thing. You need to remove it or you're going to be disciplined. And she told them, well, then I'm going to give my two weeks notice. And they told her, well, we're going to walk you out right now. This is a nurse with 30 plus years of experience. That's breathtaking. You know? what, what was the, the harsh objection to wearing a mask? What, what was that about? Their concern was the perception that, uh, you know, they this was, you know, as it's really starting to ramp up in the St. Louis area and they were concerned that people were going to get scared and and about their hospital reputation over their healthcare workers. Hmm. So after this started coming out, um, you know, they have since that hospital has since allowed well, that that nurse went to me and then I had her go to the media um, and start talking about it. And that health care system has started to allow folks to wear their their masks uh, as well. But after that story broke, I started getting emails from nurses all over the state saying the exact same thing that is happening to them. I'm just I'm just uh, gobsmacked by that. I, I don't I, I don't quite understand that. I don't understand it either. I mean, mm. again, it's these were our front line healthcare workers. Right. So if once we uh, start losing our healthcare workers, once they start getting sick, and again, because it's an invisible virus for many folks, they could receive it from somebody who doesn't have any symptoms. Yeah. And once they start um, going down with it, what are we going to do? Yeah. What are patients in Missouri going to do? It's not like we have an infinite amount of nurses waiting in the wings to come and take their place. We don't. Dr. Edwards, as we wrap up here this morning, what's your biggest fear as we sit here today on the second day of April and you look down the road here? What What's going through your mind? I don't think my fears are any, you know, any different than what everybody else is concerned about. I think that we, um, hopefully, I think Kansas State's done a great job at social distancing and really taking this seriously. Our local leaders have been incredibly um, thoughtful in in creating an environment where we will have the best success. Um, I, I'm fearful, you know, that obviously the the illness will spread within our community. I'm fearful for the economic impact that it's having. Um, I am a small business owner. Uh, a large percentage of the patients we take care of also own small businesses. We take care of a lot of uh, gig economy service sector uh, workers. Uh, the economic impact is going to be incredible. And that is, that's fear-inducing in, 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 on so many levels, both for our, our local economy, but for the actual person who is sitting there without a paycheck trying to figure out how they're going to pay rent, buy food, but also, you know, the same fear of, you know, how am I going to stay well? Um, it's an incredibly anxiety-provoking kind of time to be in um, without the usual distractions that we have to, to keep us occupied. So hmm. my biggest concern is just, you know, the mental health and well-being of our community, the financial health and well-being, and obviously, ultimately, you know, the simple you know, health of our community. So yeah. I think there's a lot that we're going to go through. The, I, I, I don't mean to be sensationalist, but I think this is sort of a little bit of a calm before the storm. I think we will see it get a little bit worse around here. 
Well, I appreciate those comments. We're going to talk about mental health uh, in the next few days here on Up to Date Special Coverage, Coronavirus in Kansas City. I want to thank our very good guests for shedding a lot of light on the health care situation right now. That was the voice of Dr. Allison Edwards. She owns the Kansas City Direct Primary Care uh, that offers monthly doctor services on a fee basis. We were also joined by Heidi Lucas. She's the state director of the Missouri Nurses Association. Thank you both for some great comments. We sure appreciate it. Appreciate it. Thank you, Steve. Best of luck to you both. Thank you. You bet. After a short break, when we come back, we're going to talk about how the virus is changing the distribution of housework around the house. Be interested in getting your comments at 816-235-2888 or tweet us at KCUR up to date. Again, I'm Steve Kraske, and this is up to date special coverage, coronavirus in Kansas City. And welcome back. I'm Steve Kraske. This is up to date special coverage, coronavirus in Kansas City. Well, researchers say it's still a fact that women still do more housework than men. But you can't help but wonder how the outbreak of the coronavirus is going to challenge and change all this, especially in cases where the female in a family is considered an essential worker. So will COVID-19 change the ways of the world, at least when it comes to who gets the housework done? Joining us again is Francine Deutsch. She's author of Having It All, How Equally Shared Parenting Works, as well as the upcoming book, Creating Equality at Home, How 25 Couples Around the World Share Housework and Child Care. She's a professor emerita of psychology at Mount Holyoke College. She's been studying this issue for years. Professor, nice to have you back again. Welcome. Thank you so much. Nice to be here. We're wondering how couples are navigating the housework during this time of the COVID-19 crisis. How are you dividing up the housework? And has the pandemic had an effect on all that? Our number, 816-235-2888, or tweet us at KCUR up to date. Well, Professor, is this a breakthrough moment? Are things going to change out there or, or not? Well, really, no one knows. Yeah. But what I can say is this is a moment when things could change Mm. because the situation for everyone out there, we're, we're just not in the old normal. And especially because people's work lives are disrupted so much. And, uh, couples are, many couples are now home together and the work at home then becomes more visible. Uh, it, it really changes men's and women's relation to their paid jobs. So potentially it's a breakthrough moment, you're saying. Exactly. And it really depends on what people do with this moment. Well, if this moment, if this results in a change, I mean, we're talking about a seismic shift in American culture, right? Because you have been writing and others have, too, that women have been carrying this load when it comes to housework for a very long time. Exactly. And things have changed. I don't mean to say that it's been exactly the same for the last 50 years. There are incremental changes. Men do uh, do more around the house than they did 50 years ago, but the change has been very slow. Now there's really a possibility for a more dramatic change, I think. I can't help but wonder why haven't we seen more change in this area over the decades, uh, even with women making as many big strides as they have over the years? What's holding holding that back? 
Well, I, I would say there are two kinds of things that hold that back. One is structural. So even though women are out in the labor force in, in much greater numbers than they were in the past, there's still a difference between men and women's relation to paid work. So for example, men work on average more hours in the paid workforce than women do. So that means they're less available for domestic work. Uh, in addition to that, they they men often have a different relation to work, so they're less willing to make compromises in their paid work lives. What does than that women mean? Are. What does that mean? That means okay, so you're you're offered a promotion. The promotion will mean you're going to spend less time with your family. That's the kind of decision where women often will decide, no, it's really not worth it. Or uh, there's an opportunity to work part time. Women are more likely to take advantage of that opportunity than men are. But right now, uh, we don't have as much control over our work lives. So I think that changed. But I also want to say it's not simply these sort of structural issues. It's also the attitudes people have. And so women feel responsible for the, the work yeah. at home. Men yeah. don't feel as responsible. And adding on to that, there's a myth that women are somehow better at this, <laughs> that they're somehow innately better parents, uh, somehow better dishwashers. I don't quite understand that. But that's one of the factors that interferes with really creating equality. Well, when you say, Professor, that women feel responsible, more responsible about the housework, is that because there's just a societal expectation that lingers to this day that this kind of work falls more into their camp? Exactly. If someone, uh, a friend or maybe an acquaintance comes into one's house and the house is a mess, they don't immediately think, oh, what kind of a man is that? He didn't clean up the house. Uh, but they might think that about the woman. And it's even more strongly the case when it comes to child care. Uh, I always think of the case where someone visits a, a couple with a new baby and holds the baby and the baby starts crying. Who do they hand that baby back to, the mother or the father? Mm -hmm. Well, in most cases, it will be the mother because the expectation is that the mother is the one in charge of child care. We're talking about how housework is being divvied up in this age of the pandemic. Is it changing in your household? Perhaps is the man of the family doing a little bit more of the work? We're talking about uh, those kinds of couples right now. 816-235-2888 is our phone number. Or tweet us at KCUR up to date. We're hoping to hear from, from some real folks out there and how all this is affecting you. So what would you say to a person who's stuck at home with a partner who isn't pulling his share, Professor? What I've discovered in my research is that communication is really the key. Now, of course, there are partners who are not going to budge no matter what. But I think a lot of men are well-meaning, want to be participant, but maybe don't, don't quite see what's going on. So my experience tells me that sitting down and talking about this calmly and trying to really point out what the situation is and what the woman would like to happen. What doesn't work are, is a woman who does everything, builds up a huge amount of resentment mm. and explodes at some point. I found in my research that when the, that pattern occurs, men may shape up for a 
for a short while to kind of uh, lessen the storm, but over the long run, that doesn't really change things. Changing things really requires a kind of calm negotiation and sometimes having that negotiation more than one time. Lauren on Twitter wrote us this, Professor, now the whole family is sharing daily duties. We've definitely spent a lot more time cleaning up and prepping the yard. Uh, Aaron tweeted us this, I still have most of the child care hours and responsibilities. My kid's father is essential on a farm. I've moved uh, to all online teaching, three research methods courses, advising and committee service with kids uh, eight to four, Monday through Friday and all day Sunday. So you can imagine how that's going. That sounds like a load. Yes, I, I think that's one of the stories that's going to be told about this uh, this period when we're when we're uh, stuck at home. That a lot of people are working with their children underfoot, and uh, that's not an easy thing. And it really adds to the load of childcare. I believe. Hmm. Have we ever had a society jarring moment like this before? I mean, I'm thinking back. Is it World War Two? World War One? What would you point to? Well, in an opposite way, World War II had some of these characteristics. I mean, it was a complete disruption of society. But one of the interesting things that happened was that since the men went off to war, women went to work. And I know my mother always talks about this time as a time of equality, at least in the workplace, because women were really needed uh, in the paid workforce. Mm -hmm. So you can think of this time as in some ways the opposite, where, where so many people are at home and men are at home in greater numbers than they normally are. That's interesting. Um, I can't help but wonder, you know, if World War II affected all this, did, did that change continue as the years passed after that? No, sadly, I have to say. Yeah. Uh, Men came home, there was an attitude that, okay, now it's time for women to go home. And in fact, that became a period of of the most uh, traditional kind of behavior, at least in middle-class families, where women were home doing all the domestic labor and weren't in the paid labor force. And uh, men uh, were now taking over the jobs that they had previously done during the war. So I, I guess as somebody who studies equality and, and likes to see equality, uh, I would hope that if men and women renegotiate the division of labor at home, that it's more long lasting than just the time when we're shut in. Housework during a pandemic. That's our topic here. How are you dividing things up in your household? 816-235-2888 is our number, or tweet us at KCUR up to date. Liz from Raymore, good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm well, thanks. Um, I just called to say that uh, my housework has been fairly evenly divided um, since before this. The difference now is my husband is the one that's home and he is taking over the teacher stuff, which normally I'm the one that does all the homework with the kids. So this has been really nice because I don't really enjoy doing homework now. I can't keep up with the way they do math ah. anymore. And so now he has to deal <laughs> with that. And it's, it's kind of nice because he's getting ready to retire in a few years. So I'm priming him to be a stay at home dad now. <laughs> how's he, how's he doing having that extra responsibility? Way better than I would, honestly. So I think he's doing a great job, actually. So you see some upside here for you. Yes, this has been great. Uh, 
I'm not going to wish for another pandemic or anything, but I think it's it's working out in my favor. <laughs> well, there's some well, good I, news, that's, Professor. That's a wonderful story. That's, yeah. a, that's a great story. Yeah. It's a nice to find a few little silver linings in what is a very hard time for a lot of families. I was going to say, because watching the kids all day for some couples who are used to the kids being away at school, that's going to be a huge adjustment for a lot of people. I mean, what What advice would you throw out to address that situation? Gosh, that's a hard question. Oh, yeah. I'm not sure I know the answer. Yeah. I saw a short video of one of my um, former colleagues who was home with a child trying to get some work done. And I was thinking this is a good time for uh, a documentary filmmaker if they could go from house to house and see how it's going. Yeah. Well, let's talk about two adults, different scenarios here. Uh, two adults in the house, and I guess we're talking about straight couples here. Uh, how about this scenario, Professor? Both adults are essential. So is the division less likely to change in a situation like that? That's an interesting question. So they're both going out to work. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, that's what it sounds like. Yeah. Wow. I'm not sure how those couples are managing in yeah. terms of child care. I mean, the only way it's possible is if they're sh- they're um, alternating work shifts. Now, I've studied couples who do that. And that does promote a very equal division, because if one parent is there while the other parent is working, they really have to take over all the responsibilities. So if but, that's but that can be just to- heck on a marriage, though, isn't it? It's hard on a marriage. It can be hard on a marriage. The ones who were the most successful really communicated a lot and really worked hard to work out some time when they could just be together, mm-hmm. uh, even if it was an hour a day where they talked about what, what was going on in their lives. How about a scenario where one worker is essential, one is not, and the essential one has normally done the bulk of the housework around the house in that situation, we probably should expect a change in, in behavior, right? I would imagine a big change and, mm-hmm. because there really wouldn't be any alternative there. And, uh, you know, the the parent who suddenly has to do the domestic labor, especially the child care, may discover both capacities within themselves that they didn't know they had, but also a relationship with their children that's more than what they had had in the past. So it, it's, it, it might be a hard thing. It might be stressful, but there also might be some rewards in it. Hmm. Why is it that you've said in the past that men are more often to start pitching in by helping out the kids first before they dive into housework? Why, why do mm-hmm. they opt to go to the kids? Well, I think it's frankly more fun to take care of children than it is to do the laundry. I mean, I think housework, particularly the kinds of repetitive, you know, clean the bathroom, uh, wash the dishes, uh, there are you know, the reward is you see a clean house, your spouse is happy. But when you when you do child care, you're really developing a relationship with your children. And it can be a deeper relationship than if you're not involved in their care. Yeah. One of your main points is how straight couples can create equally sharing families by undoing gender roles. Again, when you talk about undoing gender roles, that's a big leap. How do you begin to navigate that? Well, I I think it's by understanding that underneath these um, these expectations, these roles that we're taught, we are all human. We are all human and we have the same fundamental human needs for relationships 
and for achievement. And, you know, the way we divide these up according to gender really uh, loses some of our human capabilities. So when I think of undoing gender, I think of it in a creative way that we're now embracing all aspects of our humanity. Hmm. By the way, how do we know that women are still doing most of the housework these days? What, what's the proof of that, Professor? Well, there are a lot of surveys. Uh, there are time use surveys. There's uh, there are a lot of researchers who are out there, uh, you know, talking to people, um, basically just through survey research. Well, what are the chances that any changes to the chores during the pandemic will will sort of stick after the whole pandemic is over? Again, I think that's going to depend a lot on the couples and how they communicate and whether they see the benefits, both to uh, how it affects their children, for example, but also how it affects their relationship. Because sometimes women have these simmering resentments, and there's more and more evidence that couples who share more equally are happier, and even some evidence that they have more sex. There's not a lot of evidence, but there is some evidence supporting that. Okay, that's Francine Deutsch. She's author of Having It All, How Equally Shared Parenting Works, and as well as the upcoming book, Creating Equality at Home, How 25 Couples Around the World Share Housework and Child Care. Francine, always a pleasure to have you here. Thanks for taking some time. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. If you live in Brookside, you might have heard this music at a corner near you in the past few days. The Brookside Bagpiper also goes by the name John Tootle, and he's been moving around the neighborhood to different places, often multiple spots a night for a while now. We tracked him down, and here's what he had to say about his nightly serenades. Well, it's always nice to put a smile on somebody's somebody's face. Didn't think it would get this big, and I'm, I'm happy it did. I'm happy people are are getting a little joy out of this and getting a little break. There was one uh, gal that was uh, streaming. She, My first time at the corner, she goes, I'm streaming you. And then later on, after I finished Amazing Grace, somebody texted her from either Pennsylvania Street or Pennsylvania State. I'm not sure which. And she goes, it's very, very nice. It's so nice that he's out there. And he says, we all need a little grace in these times. Huh. Well, Sam Mears joins us now. He's one of the many Brookside residents who've been enjoying this music. Sam, good morning. Nice to have you. Hey, Steve. How are you? I'm well. I understand you really only heard him once, but th- this has made a pretty big impact on you. It really did. It was um, it was fascinating, and, and you know, obviously, you know, with uh, sheltering in place, it's it's much quieter in Brookside, even on 63rd Street, and. Um, I had the windows open and I, I heard the bagpipes wafting, you know, across the rooftops and the trees. And I was like, that is really cool. You know? So yeah, I, I just thought it was amazing. Why would you say that we need something like this right about now, Sam? You know, I, it's an interesting question, Steve. It, it, it hit me like really hard. And it was one of those, um, uh, I think people are longing for a, a sense of normal right now. And what I what I took away from that when I listened to it was this 
the sense of solidarity, you know, bringing people together, you know, for a common cause. And obviously we don't know how long, you know, we're going to be doing this. Um, but I, I just thought it was, it was a wonderful, you know, way to bring people together. And then I found out he was doing it across different neighborhoods within, you know, Brookside and Waldo and, uh, that's just amazing. It's just it's 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 what we need right now. Have you talked to your neighbors about it, Sam? A few, yeah, and and they've heard him, and I've I've talked to other coworkers who live in the Brookside area, and they've also um, uh, heard him playing. Uh, but what's interesting, and and I had one person send me a photo uh, that they captured him playing, uh, but it's almost like uh, it, it's a little magical too because we never know where he's going to show up. Uh, and I do hope I get to hear him again. I, I've had the windows open now for two weeks. And I, heard him <laughs> um, I hope but, you don't have uh, allergies, Sam. Maybe, yeah, right, really, I don't. I don't. But, um, you know, it's funny. I think obviously he must be feeling it, too, um, because he's being intentional about, you know, being out and playing. Uh, and I think that's, uh, as I said in my Facebook post, you know, play on. That's, that's exactly what we need right now. I'm wondering if your neighbors have been struck by uh, what he's doing as much as uh, he's struck you with it. Well, the ones I've talked to have been. Uh, it's just, um, um, you know, and, and years ago we had the, the bus driver in Kansas City that would step off the bus and play the bagpipes. And I remember that created a similar sense of, of camaraderie in the city. Um, and uh, I think this is this is more emotional now. I think this one strikes right in the heart of, of uh, our need for connection and belonging. Uh, you know, and some of the history of, of bagpipers oh, yeah. you know, around the world, it's, 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 they lead, they lead a movement. And um, I just love the solidarity that comes with that, that thinking. I was going to say, and what is it about the sound of a bagpipe? I mean, that, that it, it is, we don't hear it that often, I guess, and maybe that's why it hits me as hard as it does sometimes. I think it's a little, it, it's a, it's haunting yes. uh, and, and, and comforting at the same time. Yes. And very well said. That's, that's a, uh, that's hard to pull off. Um, I don't know that I've heard a clarinet be haunting and comforting at the same time, but, but the bagpipes is uh it's a very different, uh, very different sound. So what would you say to the bagpiper, Sam? Uh, play on. Play. Yeah. I wish he could play. I, and, and what's interesting, so when I was trying to figure out who it was, um, you know, I was Googling Kansas City bagpipers, and um, there are a lot of bagpipers in Kansas yeah. City. I'd like all of them. To right. I'm right. not sure all the neighbors appreciate it as much as some do, <laughs> but uh, I, I would love it. I would love to hear bagpipes uh, every evening in Kansas City. I think that would be nothing short of amazing. Well, that's Sam Mears from Brookside. Sam, thanks so much for your time. All right. Take care, Steve. You've been listening to Up to Date Special Coverage, Coronavirus in Kansas City. I'm Steve Kraske. We'll see you tomorrow.